In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two weeks ago, I ended the sermon with an analogy about healthy food and the diets that we all keep. When we eat healthy food, certain things happen to our body that can be seen as good. If we eat enough green vegetables, our blood reflects that when it is drawn. If we eat enough protein, it is easier to put on muscle and to recover from injuries. And we could go through all the foods from nuts and fruits and to dairy products and beans and meats and seafood. But part of what we're supposed to do is to try to eat a balanced diet, something that I myself find it hard to do. What we eat affects us in ways that we are continuing to learn about. Doctors and scientists, and even now nutrition specialists, have learned more about not only what food constitutes a good, healthy, and balanced diet, but we have learned that different people require different diets, from genetics to lifestyles, allergies to availability. Eating food is a concern that occupies everyone on this planet. It really is one of those few things that occupy much of our time. And we even sometimes put great effort into the preparation of the food that we eat. Meals are part of that eating. An atmosphere of fellowship, celebration, custom, thanksgiving, all surround this gathering to eat. And meals, it seems to be, are always better when eaten with someone, with others around. There is something not as satisfying about a meal when it is one person, especially if it has taken a long time to prepare. And, generally speaking, meals are, or at any rate used to be, the main focal point of the family in the evenings. It was a time to not only nourish the body, but to feed the family and to feed their needs together. It was when everyone paused for a moment in time to be with each other, to hear about each other's joys or their sorrows, needs, and their accomplishments. In today's gospel, the sayings that Jesus had been telling the crowd finally come to a head, and Jesus is about to conclude his discourse with a rather troubling statement. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that is a very gory and, frankly, not very kosher thing to say, especially to a crowd of Jews. Then, as if Jesus couldn't provoke them anymore, he also says, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jewish kosher laws, still to this day, have rather strict rules concerning the eating of flesh and also how to butcher an animal so that its blood, sometimes called its lifeblood, is removed from the meat. 
And one of the things that is prohibited in kosher preparation and cooking is that you cannot cook anything in blood, much less drink the blood of an animal. There are rules about how to eat the flesh and meat of animals too. But something that is strictly prohibited in all Jewish law is that idea of a form of a human sacrifice, be it for an offering to a deity, as the pagans do, or the shedding of human blood for the purposes of eating and drinking. Think uh, cannibalism. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, the first thing we must understand is that Jesus is speaking in a highly spiritualized manner. But part of that spiritualization is something that is both a metaphor and a reality. The reality that Jesus is pointing to is his death, his sacrificial death. It is uh, not lost on any of the gospelers to include the detail that Jesus died just before the Passover, the holiest of the Jewish holidays, and that it was through the Passover that God redeemed Israel from the bondage of Egypt. But a lamb had to be slaughtered, the blood of which was smeared on the doorpost of the house, and the lamb roasted and eaten inside by the family. Jesus is pointing to this event as the metaphor of blood and flesh serving as part of the elements necessary for redemption. Secondly, Jesus is using the Jewish and ancient world's understanding of what blood is. We know today that it is a complex chemical containing different types of cells and through which what we eat turns into some sort of fuel to help run our body. But the ancient understanding of blood is that it was where the life of the person or of the animal was stored, almost like a battery in your car. If the battery doesn't have enough charge to start your car or run the radio, we say that your car is dead. And so it was with blood. It was the source of life. So Jesus is telling this crowd that for them to truly live, for they and the world to continue to function, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, his life-giving source. Now, imagine if with fresh ears someone came up to you and told you this. It would be rather bizarre. We too might even ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And from this point forward, in order to grasp this whole passage, we need to understand that John is writing his gospel, and he is coming at all the events in Jesus' life through a rather different lens. When we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we are being told a story. And in that story, there is a revealing that occurs. It's one of those highly stylized writings that we who are looking down over it know who Jesus is. 
but no one else in the rest of the book does until the end. Here, John instead writes a, uh, John instead writes a book that is more theological and less story-like. And Jesus is either performing a sign that he is the Messiah or is teaching that he is. So John's retelling of this event, remember there is no Last Supper event in John, John's retelling of this event is his way of marking something that the gospel writers did. John, or Jesus at the Passover meal, breaking bread and sharing a cup. From the earliest days of the church, the Last Supper scene and this scene in John have been taught hand in hand. And it is from this teaching that our understanding of communion, the Eucharist, and the sacramental presence of Jesus in the bread and wine come together. We understand the idea of a Passover sacrifice, but we also remember that the children of Israel ate the lamb and covered the doors to their dwelling in blood. And we too come. We eat of the lamb of God. And we drink his blood to cover the doors to our hearts. And we never do this alone. We never do it away from other people. In fact, I as a priest cannot come and bless this bread and wine in the Eucharistic prayer without at least one other person here. Because this is done in fellowship with others. We remember Jesus' words, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And when we meet, be it ten or twenty or a hundred, and gather in Jesus' name, we know him to be here. And this is why we believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. We take simple bread and we ask for Jesus to feed our hearts and our minds and even our bodies with just a morsel of bread. And we take that bread also to those who are in need and can't be here. There are a lot of ideas and thoughts about this act, and it's probably one of the things that is still sharply divides Christians even today. But we in the Anglican but we in the Anglican communion believe in this idea, this theology of real presence. But we don't try to define it as any more than a holy mystery that we will learn to understand in the new creation. This meal that we come to each week is hosted not by us, and not by the vestry, and not even by a priest, but instead is hosted by our blessed Lord. And just like our other family meals,
or special events or that weekly meeting of friends at a restaurant, this meal is where we come to commune with Jesus and those who follow him. We come and we talk about our day, of things that go well and of things that go badly. And we ask for help. And we even ask if there is someone whom we need to help. And we nourish our souls with healthy food and with food that gives us life that is balanced for our spiritual needs. And we do this week after week, in some places, day after day. Yes, we must pray. And yes, we must study our scriptures. And yes, we must do all those things that we say in our baptismal vows. Those would be like our exercise or our labor or even our rest. But it is here where we are fed, where we are charged, where we gain the strength needed to carry on those things we do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them.